You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 9. The group quietly exited the weight rooms and joined the rest of the survivors on the practice field. It was a full 120-yard indoor astroturf practice field surrounded by a 300-meter running track. Most everyone was gathered on the spectator bleachers on one side, listening intently to a man who was speaking to the group using a rolled-up paper as a makeshift megaphone. The group's late entrance caused a mild stir, especially since the school's president and an esteemed professor were among them. After they were seated, the speaker continued. As I was saying, my name is Raymond, and I'm a member of the university's student auxiliary police force. Rent-a-cop, someone hissed from the crowd. Others laughed. The crowd murmured and shushed. Be that as it may, I know the campus layout and have some critical incidents and conflict training. Plus, there were no other volunteers, Raymond said. Over the last few hours, we've assembled a fairly decent weapons cache, have gone over some combat techniques, discussed favorable outcomes and collateral damage, he said. Kyle spoke up. Can you be more specific? Raymond turned to Kyle. I beg your pardon? I'm sorry we were late, Kyle replied. But I was wondering, what is it you hope to accomplish? What do you consider a favorable outcome? We're far outnumbered, and quite frankly, he said, looking around at the subpar weaponry, woefully inferior. Raymond leered at Kyle, who continued speaking. Do we want to solve the problem right or solve the right problem, he said, standing and strolling over to the speaker. It's an important rule in making a battle plan, and the way I see it, the right problem is much bigger than we can hope to solve with this uprising. A favorable outcome, Raymond said, would be teaching these pricks a lesson. Did you explain collateral damage to them? You're not talking about destruction of property here, Kyle grilled him. You're talking about many, if not all, of these people dying for the cause. The crowd murmured. Raymond circled around Kyle, eyeballing him like he was a piece of chewed gum on the sole of his shoe. Oh, I see. You're the student body president, am I right? You want to come in here and throw your weight around. Way I see it, you're irrelevant, Mr. President, no offense. Whatever you were before doesn't mean crap. If we need to pull back the curtain on the inadequate hand-washing practices of the cafeteria staff or something, we'll let you know. There were some awkward laughs in the audience. But tomorrow morning, we're gonna fight, he yelled. The crowd cheered back. This rent-a-cop's gonna show those terrorists who's boss. The crowd roared, yeah. Kyle eyeballed Raymond, then took his seat. It was bad enough that he was snubbed in front of his constituents, but worse. He was snubbed in front of Sid. Not to mention he just witnessed about 200 people planning their own execution. Or worse, their involuntary recruitment. Many people in the crowd rushed to the field and were celebrating. Gil and the rest of the group watched them shaking their heads and standing to leave when Sam got to his feet. He began to walk toward the field. Sid jumped up and grabbed him. Sam, what are you doing? Get off me, Sid, he snapped, whipping his arm out of her grasp. 
You can't go with them, she said. It's a death wish. You think we have all the answers? Sam asked. One of us died, remember? The odds suck, no matter what team I play on. Sid tried to soothe Sam. I'm thinking we could use this attack they're planning as a smokescreen to get away. To get off this campus for good. That's probably our best bet, Trent said. Off the campus? And then what? We have no idea what's going on out there, Sam said. Well, maybe we can notify the UN and get some help over here, Gil said. Sam, Sid pleaded. If you go with them, no one will have your back. They don't know you. They also don't know about your problem. Sam looked away. Yeah, I've seen how this group treats each other when there's a problem. Raymond continued briefing the crowd. We've set up a couple training zones, starting over at the northeast corner. Follow me. They whooped and cheered, following Raymond off the field. I will eat, Sam promised Sid, and rest. Then tomorrow, I will make those pricks pay for Cody. Sam spun and jogged across the field to join the insurgency. The group watched helplessly after him. Maybe we should go back to our spot, Kyle suggested. He knows where we are. He'll come back. Upon returning to the weights room, the group pulled some benches around into a square formation. They ate a small meal from their rations, and it was quite a while before anyone spoke. What do you think is out there? Denver asked, interrupting their thoughts. Off campus. Gil crumbled up the plastic wrapping from his oyster crackers and stuffed it into his pocket. Can't quite say, but I will tell you that things will be different. The mob out there still thinks this was the work of terrorists, but we know the truth. Our government turned on us because we dared to disagree. Do you think our families are still alive? She asked. Gil shrugged. Put it this way, a bomb went off on campus and a building was leveled. The surrounding city is aware something terrible has happened. Yet no police, no FBI, no fire rescue, nothing. He ran his hands through his dusty hair. I have to assume we're not the only victims. That the world outside may be equally devastated. Denver exhaled forcefully. Anyone else's blood just positively boiling? I think we should go set the mob straight out there about who is at fault here, Trent suggested. Sid scoffed. That won't help us any, she said, handing some crackers to Kyle, who sat by her side. He thanked her, tucking a flyaway strand of hair behind her ear. Denver watched their intimate little interaction, struggling to contain her green-eyed monster. I'm with Sid, Kyle said. We keep this to ourselves. We need this attack to get away safely. You sound just like a real politician, Denver said full of secrets and self-preservation. Sid turned to look at Kyle. What is that supposed to mean? Sid asked. What secrets? Kyle stood and started gathering their trash. This is a no-win situation out there. They are your student body, Gil reminded him. You were elected by those people. He's being very presidential, Professor, Denver continued. They're collateral damage, right? Isn't that what you told that Raymond guy? Denver went on. Just like Cody was collateral damage. Kyle and Trent looked at each other. Denver continued. It was all part of your plan. I heard you and Trent plotting it out. How you were gonna leave Cody behind if saving him meant risking the lives of the group.
Kyle dropped his head and walked away to dump the garbage in the can. That is completely out of context, he said weakly. Trent stood and faced Denver. As a leader, you're forced to make tough decisions every single day. I'd make the same decision today if I had to, he told her. I did everything I could to save Cody, Kyle said. Trent continued. There are two kinds of people in this world, leaders and followers. Leaders are forced to make the hard decisions. I don't want some backroom deal deciding whether I live or die, thank you very much, Sid said. Guess it's every man for him or herself. She stormed out of the room. Sometime later, Gil and the others had formed an escape plan while the rest of the students were poised for battle. Their plan is to rush the line of recruits that have gathered at the front of the field house, Gil told them. Sounds like suicide, Trent remarked. I've hidden the golf cart under the bleachers in the football field, Gil continued. Once the others launch their attack, we can sneak out of the locker room to the golf cart and make our getaway to the subway tunnels through the back parking lots. There are six of us, Jeannie said. We all gonna fit on a golf cart? Gil nodded. It's not ideal, but we only have to go about a quarter mile. Three in front, three on the back. It's only five if Sid doesn't come back, Denver noted. Kyle sneered at her. No thanks to you, he said. I'm going for a walk, Denver announced, marching off. Her ill-planned expose of Kyle and Trent's arbitrary executive decision about Cody didn't go over as well as she'd hoped. She stomped out into the hall and stood at the entrance of the practice field. The rebellion had reached a full crescendo with students actually playing drums and chanting. The atmosphere could almost be described as celebratory. It was a far cry from what was happening in her own group, and she momentarily envied their go get em spirit. Then she spotted Sid in the far corner talking to Sam, pleading with him. Sam was shaking his head, prying Sid's grip from his arms. Denver squinted her eyes to see more clearly. If she didn't know better, she would have sworn that Sid was crying. Good, Denver thought. Go join the suicide mission. Then we can go back to me being the prettiest girl in the room. Suddenly there was the sound of glass breaking, a loud crackle, and a hiss. In a flash, the room began to fill with smoke. Everyone started screaming and wailing. People dropped to the ground like sacks of potatoes. Some grabbed for weapons and started swinging them around at no one. Denver hobbled on her bad ankle as fast as she possibly could back to the weights room. It's happening now, she screamed, flinging herself through the door. Masks, it's the poison gas. The group put their masks on and without hesitation grabbed their packs and made their way through the locker room. Kyle panicked. I have to find Sid, he cried, pulling down his mask. Denver stopped and grabbed him. Forget her, she joined the resistance. She threw on a mask and dragged Kyle out to the practice field. The entire area was thick with smoke and bodies everywhere, seizing and foaming at the mouth. Where is she, Denver? Kyle yelled through his mask. You'll kill yourself trying to save that dumb girl. A hand reached out from the ground and grabbed Kyle's leg, trying to pull him down. Denver yanked a golf club out of her backpack and swatted at the hand over and over until it released him. They both looked around and couldn't believe their own eyes. Coming through the wall of smoke were recruits, hundreds of them, marching onto the field. Kyle knew he had no more than a minute or two to find Sid. 
When they reached the far end, they found Sam trying to make a mask out of his torn shirt. Kyle took a deep breath and gave Sam his mask. Where is Sid? Kyle yelled. Sam put on the mask and pointed out the back. I chased her out of here, now go! They started to run out the back. Kyle turned around in time to see Sam body slamming a bug-eyed recruit then roaring like a tiger. Once outside, they ran through a parking lot to the football bleachers and found the others at the golf cart, waiting with Sid. Let's go, Gil ordered, and the little golf cart scooted off toward the back of the campus, leaving the smoking field house in its dust. After ditching the golf cart a mile away, the group was able to reach University Station. They stood on the avenue, trying to catch their breath. In the distance, they could see the arena, smoking silently. The building began to glow, with orange flames flickering against the late afternoon sky. They've set the arena on fire, Denver said. Holy crap! Everyone watched in horror as the inferno engulfed the entire building. A primitive yet effective way to cover your tracks, Gil said. Sam, Sid whispered. He'll be okay, Kyle said unconvincingly. Let's get off the street. Because the campus was in a commercial area and it was a Sunday, there was no traffic or people milling around whatsoever. It was eerie and strangely serene after what they'd just been through and what was probably still going on at that moment. Had there been television reports or open communication channels of any kind, there might have been hundreds of people gathered to watch what was happening at the university. But there was nothing. No one had any clue what was going on. They headed toward the subway entrance. Unfortunately, they were greeted by a locked security gate. I guess the trains aren't operational, Gil said. But I think we'll have a better chance of moving undetected through the concourse or the tunnels. Trent stepped forward and removed an axe from his pack that he pilfered from a fire extinguisher case in the fieldhouse. In just a few blows, they were through the gate and hopping over the turnstiles. It's super dark, Denver remarked. Smells like pee. Let's just get as far off campus as we can, Kyle said. The farther we are, the safer. We don't know what's going on out here either, Trent reminded him. Just stick close and be ready for anything, he said. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media. Written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell. Narrated by Andrea Fuller.